Thanks, Jessica. Appreciate that. Well, good morning. Like Kevin, we welcome you here this morning. It's good to be here with you um, this fine day in the Lord. We are going to concentrate our attention this morning with the Word of God, and that's always a good thing to do. We have the Word of God near. We got it right here. Um, but we're going to be concentrating. If you've already looked at your bulletins, you know we're in Romans chapter 12. We're going to dive in there where verses 1 and 2, the very beginning. I have to say, probably of all the books of the Bible, um, Romans would probably be my favorite. So um, this is kind of where I have um, landed um, for today's message. Let's, um, let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then see how we might apply this to our lives. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I, um, as I was studying this, I um, ran across a paraphrase, it's a well-known paraphrase, J.B. Phillips. Um, he, he writes these two verses this way. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Verse 2. Stop being poured into the mold by the external and fleeting fashions of this age, but undergo a deep interchange by the qualitative renewing of your mind. So, here at the beginning of of chapter 12, um, Paul is making a clear transaction from doctrine to application. We can almost think of chapter 12 as being a door. We've been in this room for a while, room of doctrine, studying God's word, and now that we have, we need to advance and move through the, into this room. And so chapter 12 is kind of a, of a door that we walk through. It's the hinge. We don't leave doctrine behind because we need that in order to go further into application. In fact, we're going to see today we can't apply unless we have doctrine. We need them both. We need them both. So this, this, what Paul is referring to here is, he says, we, we, we come with a foundation that is built on the mercies of God. And we use that foundation to, to apply Christian life now. We apply this Christian life based on the mercies of God. We, we will not be able to live out the practical teachings from chapter 12 on without the mercies of God already been done, and we understand those mercies. You know, it doesn't get any deeper than the first 11 chapters of Romans. What, and if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. What is of most importance is how we live. What is of most importance is how we live. You know, chapter 12 of John explains how we are to live as a church community, among ourselves, and also to those outside in society, those outside the church. kind of wanted just to do a little quick jump ahead um, here, just to give you some ideas of what Christian life is about. You don't already know. Um, this is a reminder. But as we jump ahead just a little bit, um, these, um, these final um, chapters here tell us, first off, um, that we are to exercise our gifts. We are to show mercy with cheerfulness. Love is to be genuine. We are to give to the saints. We are to bless those who persecute us. We are to weep with those who weep. We are to associate with the lonely. Repay no one with evil. Never avenge yourself. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's not enough. We instructed in, how, in our relationship with the government. Get to chapter 13. We see that. Um, the weaker brother. We are to imitate Christ. That should take a couple of days. 
and that our lives be an offering to God, acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Quite a tall order. But that's why you and I exist, is to make people amazed at the mercies of God. We're to live in such a way that people conclude that God is merciful. Because we live merciful lives, right? We exist, we exist, exist church, to, to reveal God. So the aim of these two verses is that all of our life become a life of worship for God. If you notice, we've broken them down here a little bit, um, the appeal, uh, the presenting, and then the transforming. So that follows Paul's um, writings here. So first, the appeal, verse 1. And one of the most important words here in verse 1 is the, this little word that sometimes we don't pay all our attention to, but it's the word therefore. A very important word. Paul uses it a lot. But basically, this word links us to God's call with his mercies. I want us here, just like we um, kind of looked ahead a little bit in the application, I want us to kind of look back a little bit now and see, um, actually, and I, all of us understand why we needed mercies, but I want to remind us today of who we were, who we were before Christ. Sometimes we don't think of that a lot, uh, but Paul is very explicit in how he explains um, us before we came to know Christ. He sums it up with a lot of words, but first thing he says is we were unregenerate, unregenerate, sinful, no repentance. But then he goes on, he says we're these things. We find them in chapter 1. We don't have to go very far in Romans before we, we run into these words that describe us before Christ. We don't like to hear them, but these are us. Unrighteous, wicked, greedy, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips. Scripture continues. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. There's a new group of younger ears that just joined us right about this moment. Um, they're kind of going, did you hear what he just said? He's making that up. No way that disobedient to parents can be in the same list with murderers and haters of God. There's no way. I didn't write this. God did. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty bad stuff. And you think, well, disobedient parents, that's not so bad, is it? And it made the list. Without knowledge, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. So we look at that list. I would look at that list and say, you know, never been quite that bad. Um, you know, but Paul, Paul doesn't... doesn't Give us a wiggle room here at all. He goes on and explains in chapter 3 and tells us what? None are righteous. Not even one. He says all have fallen short and, and sinned against the glory of God. In fact, he says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That word all is all encompassing, right? That means everybody, right? Nobody's left out. So the entire human, human race has sinned against God. But, 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 the mercy of God. And here's, where, here's where the mercy comes in. But the mercy of God has been displayed through his son. You find that in, in chapter 5. And it reads something like this. It says, for while we were without any strength, while we were helpless, we had no way of escape from sin. We were powerless. We were weak. We were deficient. As we said in this, mired in this, Christ died for the ungodly, the wicked. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what's the result? 
No condemnation. No separation. Only justification and glorification. No effort of ours. All through Jesus Christ. You know, the greater our um, comprehension of what God has done for us, the greater our commitment should be. So therefore, the, the driving force, the impetus behind our living, our life before God is because of his great mercies toward us. This should be our motivation. You know, Jesus in his parable to the, to the Good Samaritan, he asked the lawyer kind of in the end of the story, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor of the man who fell into the robber's hands? The lawyer made a, a good reply. He, he said the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So the life we are to live as Christians just doesn't come out of nowhere. It has a foundation. And so this appeal to to you and me um, is to build our lives, this Christian life, on God's mercies. Because that's what Paul is building it right here. Because of God's mercies, I want you to do this. So we give ourselves to God. Um, you know, This is our only sufficient motivation for the Christian life. Gratitude for his mercy and grace. It's a life of worship, not just on Sunday mornings as we come together and sing. We are to commit ourselves unreservedly to his service. And that's it. It's where we at times have problems because there are certain parts of our life we hold back, don't we? We either want to hold on to it or we're fearful to give it to God because we don't know what God's going to do with it. He may not give it back, or he's going to change something. Before we go on to the next point, though, I, I want to clarify this word appeal, or some say um, maybe urge. I read urge out of the NASB. They're basically the same word. Literally, it means to call to one side. It's, it's the language of grace. It's the language of grace. That's what we have. It, it kind of gives us a picture of someone calling another um, to their side and lovingly presenting a message to them. You know, there, there, there is no bit of bridle or command here. When you hear the word urge or appeal, um, it's exactly what it says. It's an urge, it's an appeal. It's not a kick in the, kick in the pants. So I'd ask us today as we as we hear about um, this presenting our lives and transforming of the mind and all this, that we we hear this appeal from from God's word um, and we base our, our lives on on his, on his life of mercy because we have received mercy. You know, and, and just as important today, um, as I was thinking about this, um, any time we gather together, there's always, I don't want to assume that all of us are Christians. That would be a wrong assumption. We can't take that chance. So this appeal this morning is also to you who maybe are here today and have not surrendered your life to Christ. We've read about God's mercies toward us um, just just now and you know, our urging, our plea to you today is to hear. To hear, please. Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of Christ. So we have the appeal on the mercies of God. Now the presenting. Same. We're still in verse 1. So, you know, Paul doesn't make an, uh, make an appeal and leave us hanging. He goes on to show the practical effects uh, that should come from us as we uh, consider God's mercies toward us. You know, this, this again, should cause us to vote our lives unreservedly to his service. And, you know, so we're instructed to present, um, to offer, to yield our bodies, 
a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's what he says. So the first thing we are to do is to present our body. And the word present basically means to place or set beside someone for their disposal. God, I set my life before you for your disposal as you see fit to use. Easy, right? It's easy, yeah. But, you know, we ask the question, why our bodies? Um, You know, the point is of our bodies being stretched here is because what we do with our body counts. What we do with our body counts. We belong to God's soul and body. You know, we may think, well, why would God want this body? It's overweight, it's wrinkled, it's awkward, it's old, it's diseased, it's nearsighted, it's hard of hearing. And we can go on and on, right? It's not much of a sacrifice. In fact, when we hear the word sacrifice, we think back to the Old Testament. And what about those sacrifices? They had to be what? Flawless, right? Really, when it's all said and done, Lord, you know, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. But, you know, we may get a little confused here, but the sacrifice of our bodies, though, is not a sacrifice for sin. That's been accomplished through Jesus Christ, which is why our bodies are acceptable. First Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up a spiritual sacrifice acceptable acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus that our sacrifices are acceptable to God. It's Christ's perfection, and it's not ours. So the offering of our bodies has nothing to do with our bodily looks, our curves or our muscles or the lack thereof. Um, but it's the offering of our bodily behavior. Practically, you know, John Calvin um, said our bodies are, and he was speaking of this verse here, he says our bodies are more than just skin and bone. They can consist of all of our members. What that, cons- what that means is our mind, our eyes, our, our, our hands, our feet, our tongue, all of our bodily parts. But that also brings up another problem, you know, um, because in this body here, in these bodies here, our old unredeemed human still lives. And our humanness um, still attempts to be a very active part of our bodies, does it not? Because simply, to put it, still within this body of flesh, there is a body of sin that still resides. You know, in other words, our body is not only a physical being, but it also houses the evil longings of our mind, our emotions, and our will. You know, long after Paul was saved, he confessed this. He says, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. He goes on and talks about what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, his Son. So in our redeemed souls resides a body of flesh that still houses sin. It's a place that can readily be given to unholy thoughts and longings. So this is why it's, it's, it's so important we must present our bodies continually, um, daily, to the Lord. Our members, our mouth, our tongue, our feet, our hands, our eyes. I'm using a lot of scripture this morning um, simply because when we get to renewing the mind, that is part of renewing the mind is scripture. We'll learn there's another part that plays with that. But 
I was taught at a young Christian age, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so that's what I want to do this morning in speaking of this, our, our sinful nature that's still within us. And this, Paul writes in Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So I ask myself a question here. Does that mean that our bodies are maybe temporarily the home of God? think so. So shouldn't I, shouldn't we consider this the next time our minds um, wander to the unholy thoughts? Or maybe our eyes look into places probably they should not. Our tongues begin to speak things that are unkind or, as we read earlier, gossip. They're not speaking kind words, but unkind words. They're not speaking merciful words. How about our feet? Where have we allowed our feet to carry us? Probably where we have no business. And I'm sure and you get these nudges. I get these nudges when we are kind of headed in a different direction than God wants us to go. We get these nudges, these little whispers from the Holy Spirit. You know, but we are able with the Lord's power to keep from sin ruling in our bodies. You know, under God's control, our unredeemed bodies um, can and should be instruments of righteousness. Paul again writes, do not go on presenting the members of your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. John Stott, John R. W. Stott, referring to this verse, he says, Human depravity reveals itself through our bodies and tongues, which practice deceit, and lips which spread poison, and mouths which are full of cursing and bitterness, and feet which are swift to shed blood, and eyes which look away from God. Conversely, Christian sanctity shows itself in the deeds of the body. So we are to offer different parts of our body to God as instruments of righteousness. It says, then our feet will walk in his path. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen. Our arms will embrace the lonely and unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. And our eyes will look humbly and patiently toward God. Now, the quote, Oswald Sanders here, he says, When you boil it all down, the basic ingredient required for an individual who wants to become all God wants him to be is this. An unreserved handing of oneself over to the Lord. Wherever there are reservations, there's going to be immaturity. So there's the presenting, but within this presenting, the next step is presenting um, our bodies as living and holy sacrifice. You know, to be a, a living sacrifice is to be uh, fully at God's disposal. Remember we said the presenting is setting something beside someone for their disposal. We're to present a living sacrifice of our bodies to God for his disposal. It means to be actively and willing to obey God in anything. Anything in any areas of our life. A living sacrifice is dead self. It's dead to my desires. It's dead to my agenda. And I live sacrificially for God. I am dead to myself. But I'm alive to God. It's our offering of our whole life to God. R.C. Sproul, where I picked the title of this sermon from, R.C. Sproul calls it a throwaway life. He says, when you enter into the service of Jesus Christ, you're throwing your life away. R.C. Sproul, I read something about him one time. He um, was the heir apparent to a very lucrative um, bankruptcy corporation in a big city. 
was founded by his grandfather. Uh, his father took it over, and R.C. was the next in line. Prosperity, plenty of money, his life was set. No worries. It's going to be handed to him, given to him. And he said he's thankful that his father died before he made the decision the Lord, you know, presented to follow him. And he did. And R.C. said you wouldn't believe the numbers of attorneys and everybody that kept coming to him belonging to this corporation saying that he was crazy. But I thought about that, and I shared this with a community group. Where would we be today if R.C. would have said no to God? I think probably all of us have gleaned something from that man. And we would, I, I personally, I would be lacking if it wasn't reading and hearing from R.C. Sproul. So you see how important that decision can be? We're not R.C. Sproles, I understand that. We, some may in here be one day, I don't know. But, you know, you see how important that decision is? It's, it, it, it's ramifications for generations to come. You know, when we throw away our life to Christ by the world's standards, you're wasting your life. And that's what they told R.C. Someone said it's, um, it makes this kind of life a living killing. You are a living killing. It means we must continually renew our position as totally obedient to God day by day. Jesus' very famous words we heard in Sunday school this morning. We'll hear it again. You know, Jesus, you take up your cross daily and follow him. It's a dying to self. And that, 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 here again, we talked about this in our community group, but denying oneself um, it can be different for each one of us, can it not? There are certain things each one of us, here again, want to hold on to. And this is about unreservedly giving your life to Christ. You know, to be holy, to be utterly pure, and is is you know, to be holy is to be set apart, utterly pure. So we should be motivated to live this type of life because of God's mercy that we have as we look at His Son Jesus Christ. We are to present our bodies, as living and holy, to, to to God. You know, all of our members, eyes, tongues. Mind, feet, hands. We are to give our body, as, as we read in Scripture, to do righteousness. Remember, a body is not holy by what it looks like. A body is holy because by what it does. So holy describes the quality of life we should pursue. Pleasing or acceptable describes the results. We live this way, this is acceptable and, and pleasing to God. You know, what could be more logical, logical or reasonable than offering our whole, God, whole body, our whole life to God in worship, thanksgiving and praise? And as Phillips, J.B. Phillips says, once we have a wide-eyed view of God's mercy, um, anything less is... is, is then a total sacrifice to God is irrational. You know, if we give ourselves only halfway or half-heartedly, we are not looking totally at what Jesus has done for us. What did Jesus do for us? He gave himself, his whole self, unreservedly for you and me. Verse 2, the transforming. Here in verse 2, two patterns are held up. The pattern of the world and the pattern of God's will. And they clash. You know, Paul tells us to recognize and reject the pattern of thinking and feeling and behaving uh, that characterizes the world and embrace God's will for all character of life. 
pattern in this world can be summed up probably with just four words. Fortune, fame, power, pleasure. That's the world. That's what the world's after. And they're after us. You know, the word conform actually refers to an outward expression that does not reflect what is within. An outward reflection that does not, outward expression, excuse me, that does not reflect what is within. It's like masquerading or, or acting. And you're doing this by following a prescribed scheme. We were to get the Greek in here this morning, and I can't pronounce the word, but that's what transformed is the Greek word there. It's about that long. Basically, it means scheme. You know, I thought about this, you know, and um, here's an example. Well, you want to believe this or not, John Wayne was not a cowboy. He was not a cowboy. It was all an act. In fact, John Wayne is not his name. Some of you young ones are still worried about being disobedient parent. Now you're t- John who? <laughs> his name was Marion Morrison. Bit of trivia there. If I'd have said who is Marion Mar- Morrison, probably none of you would. I didn't know that. But it, it was an act. It was an act. And that's when we conform to the world, it is an act. It's not revealing what is within us. It's to follow in a scheme, the scheme of the world. And conforming is something we allow to be done to us. We can stop it. We don't have to follow it. John Wayne was a good cowboy actor because he but studied but the cowboys and how they acted. You know, Paul is being firm here. We've had an appeal and an urge, but we got a command here. Don't do this. Do not allow yourselves to be conformed to this world. John Piper advises us not to be conformed to this world, but instead to cultivate the mindset of exiles. We are not native to this world. You know, to conform means to form or mold one's behavior in accordance to a set standard. Now, I thought about this word exile here a little bit, and we understand what that means. Um, In a few weeks, I'm going to be in exile in Chicago. You know, when you're exiles, you need to be very alert to your surroundings, right? Because you're not sure what the next step's going to take. or You know, you're not familiar with this place here. And so we have to be very careful. My daughter, Nikki, that hasn't helped Ian out at all because if she's told us once, she's told us five times, whatever you do, don't go in the south side of Chicago. And so I hope there's a sign somewhere that says, you are now entering Southside Chicago. Beware. She said, you wouldn't believe the homicides that go on there. So, so what am I? Okay. Uh, anyway. Stressful. Stressful. Anyway. But anyway, that's, that's what Piper is talking about here, is, is that when we are in a place we're not used to, are familiar with, we are so alert. And that's what he's telling us to do here as Christians, as we live in this world, that we are to be alert to the world around us. Not that we follow the world, but that we watch the world's ways. We, we have to know the way the world acts and the way the world thinks is not the best way by any stretch. And we can't think or assume that anything the world puts out is in any way helpful to our soul or glorifies God. Like I said, we are exiles. We're passing through, what did Paul say, where our citizenship is in heaven. We should live like like heavenly people. That's who we are. 
The word world here, by the way, means this current age, this age we now live in. And I don't want you to think today that nonconformity is just about avoiding a bunch of worldly behaviors. That's part of it. You know, with nonconformity, it's it's not that you or me stop doing a few things that other people are doing that is wrong. It's more than that. It's you start, I start doing some things that they don't do. Like loving my enemy. Forgiving people. Returning good for evil. We ask ourselves, because of Christ, am I visibly kinder, humbler? Am I visibly happier? Or wiser. You know, another question is, is, it's not what's wrong with maybe the way I am dressing or maybe the movie that I have watched or maybe the song that I am listening to. That's, again, part of it. The real question is, though, how can I act and speak so that I help others? See the worth of Jesus. That's what we portray with our bodily behavior. How can I act and speak that others may see the worth of Jesus? You know, but the truth of the matter also is we can we can avoid all kinds of worldly behaviors and, and you know and still not be transformed. That's, this little section talks about transformation. We have to ponder what's good for the soul and what honors God in everything we do. It doesn't matter what it is. TV, social media, sports, what dress, whatever. Songs. But Paul goes on and says we should be rather transformed. Um, this word indicates a change in outward appearance. And we get our word metamorphosis from it. So this, as Paul describes it, he says, this calls for us to allow our, the inner redeemed nature to grow and manifest itself outwardly. We've got an inner redeemed nature within us. We know that. But we allow that to grow and come out. Paul, next week, I understand, is going to be talking to us, Matthew, about the transfiguration. And so I won't get on this too hard here because I'll leave it up to him. But basically, what happened there was, in the transfiguration, was that Jesus' true glory shone out. His face was as bright as the sun. His, his clothes were as white as white can get. His true glory from the inside manifested itself outwardly. That's what transfiguration, that's what transformation is. So we are to strive, um, and we play a part in this. We are to strive to be changed outwardly into conformity to our, our redeemed nature that's within us. Basically, we change from the inside out. That's what this is all about. And, and transfer, this word transformed here is in the present tense, meaning it's, it's not just a one-time event. It's a, it's a gradual process. We think of sanctification here. Someone one wrote, I was reading sometime, and they were talking about sanctification and talking about our, our responsibilities to this, and basically they put it this way. You've got to cut your own grass here. You've got to cut your own grass. So we are to live above and beyond the forms of this world. And we do not live by the calling of this world. We live by the calling of God. And when we live by the calling of God, the form of our life, this transformation changes. You know, um, 
thanks for Mike Roberts, but probably when you pulled in today, you said, oh, we got new gravel in the parking lot. Nope. All Mike did was get his tractor and his implements out there and dig down deep and pulled all that was in there back up to the top. And so we think we almost got a new parking lot. Same parking lot, transformed by what was already there. You've got an inner redeemed nature. It's already there. Let God dig in and get it out. So we'll look like a new parking lot. You know, John Piper um, gives this practical definition of transformation. He says this. He says, when you are transformed in Christ, you love to do what you ought to be doing. You love to do what you ought to be doing. Give an example of Dee here. Um, she gave me permission to do this. And I have to be kind of careful here because um, certainly I don't have permission publicly to share any of this. So I'm not going to mention any names or basically a situation came up where a um, family um, child, um, adult child, got in trouble. And um, news media got a hold of it. Not, not only the local papers, but... Um, TV stations from the city of Richmond thought it was newsworthy. And so this was plastic, TV screens, you know, newspaper, um, and naturally social media um, has, has to say something about everything. And, um, and so it's kind of like blood in the water. When things start, you know who shows up, right? Um, sharks. Anyway, um, you know, I was just talking to Dee, and, you know, my... my summation of it all is, I certainly do feel sorry for them. And she said, you know what, I, I've been thinking about them all day. So what does she do? She goes in, sits down, writes them a note, seals it, gets in her car and goes over there, knocks on the door and hands it to them. Note of encouragement. That's transformation. It's, it's, it's not enough to stop doing what we shouldn't do. We have to do good. We have to do good. And so this transformation comes through mind renewal. Mind is central because um, transformation comes from a renewed mind. Why do we need a renewed mind? Because our minds are not by nature God-worshipping minds. Our na- by nature, our minds are self-worshipping minds. Back to Scripture, Romans 1, 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Some Scriptures say debased. Depraved translates to meaning not passing the test. The universal result of disobeying God is the darkness of mind. A depraved mind, a debased mind, a dark mind is worthless and useless according to God's ways. So we have to have this renewed mind. And our minds are part of our bodies. And and we've already talked about it today, presenting our bodies and that mind being part of their bodies. We do this as a living sacrifice and and, and it's a spiritual worship of us. Um, our whole lives are to display the worthiness of God. And Paul doesn't tell us here explicitly how we are to get our minds renewed. But we know from Scripture that it is a combination of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Working in combination. So a renewed mind is necessary condition for transformation. You know, we, we have to be aware that we can study the Word of God and um, over and over and over again and have a test and pass that test, and it never reaches our heart. Kevin talked about a big head this morning. We are changed also by heart change. And God has so designed our bodies that the avenue to the heart is through the mind. What's the old saying? Junk in, junk out, right? 
got a word, words, word of God in, word of God out as action. So this is when the Holy Spirit is involved. You know, as we expose our minds to God's word by reading, studying, memorizing, uh, meditating on God's word, we're building up God's truth in us ritually. We get this from Ephesians. We get this from Colossians. And the spirit of our minds are being renewed daily. Why is it so important to saturate ourselves with the word of God? That's why. You know, when we do that, we are not only thinking true thoughts, but our minds are being reoriented. Because they are bombarded by the world. You know, when we read scripture, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work, we are being, we are being basically captured by Christ. But this happens with the Holy Spirit's involvement also. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2. Even so, the thoughts of God... No one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So transformation happens for this purpose, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we allow the Holy Spirit to shape us, the Word of God to shape us, shape our wills to the will of God. So when our minds are transformed, you know, our thinking abilities, um, our reasoning, our spiritual understanding are all able to determine and to assess everything that, that conforms to the will of God. Our, our, our lives can prove what the will of God is by doing what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Word acceptable here means what God approves of. It's holy living, spiritually spotless without blame, blemish. Word perfect carries the idea of being complete. Everything as it should be. You know, our, our will should only desire what God desires. A transformed mind produces a transformed will. Surely we have all asked this question, what is the will of God for my life? This is a whole other sermon series. It could be for Sundays after Sundays. What is God's will for my life? I'll give you the short answer today. First Thessalonians 4.3 this is the will of God, your sanctification. Could we not just boil it all down to whether whatever's going on, God is concerned with our sanctification. God's will for each of us is that we grow into spiritual maturity and that our lives become more fully set apart and consecrated by the Holy Spirit and that our minds are changed from self-worshipping to God-worshipping minds. After all of this, we will know what is pleasing to God. We have so many questions about what, you know, what should I do? Should I marry Joe? Should I marry Sally? Should I take this job? Should, all these are, what is God's will? I think what, script, what the Scripture is telling us is, you live this way before God, not conforming to the world, but you live with a transform mind that's renewed daily by scripture that you follow the Holy Spirit's influence in your life and you probably won't have as much trouble finding out what the will of God is for your life I think at times we run to God and not doing the latter God what should I do and God says well we need to back up a ways let's start from the beginning and go to this point then I think you may know What's acceptable? What's pleasing to me? Closing. In the mid-17th century, a somewhat well-known Englishman was captured by Algerian pirates and made a slave. While a slave, he founded a church. When his brother arranged for his release, he refused freedom. 
having vowed to remain a slave until he died in order to continue the serving the church he had founded. Today, a plaque in an Algerian church bears his name, David Livingstone, a missionary in Africa. This is what he wrote in his journal. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of the greatest debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its reward of healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny thereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Hmm. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, sufficiency, or danger now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this be for only a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself to us. And I close with two scriptures. Philippians 1.20, It is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body, whether life or by death. And I read 1 Corinthians 6.19 to you earlier. I'll do it again. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? But I purposely left verse 20 out to bring it to this point today. Verse 20 reads, For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. May God bless the preaching of his word.